Hello, I'm Tracy Carlton Ward and this is Sweat, Grit and Hustle. On today's show, I'm with an amazing friend of mine, the wonderful Michelle Herbert, who has fascinating stories in her life and she's always a great lady to sit and natter to. We're currently sat in my conservatory with a cup of coffee and um, we've been nattering for the last 20 minutes before we've even started. So Michelle is a financial planner, financial advisor and also that means advising in protection. But Michelle's got a wonderful story having started life as a policewoman. Michelle, Welcome. Thank you for doing this for me today. Thank you so much for having me. Brilliant. So, lovely sunny day here. It is. Um, and I, I know a lot about your story. I know you started off as a policewoman, but it's quite an interesting story because you've, you've gone from policewoman to post office to effectually protection and financial advice. Yes. So, where did business all start for you? Uh, well, I was in the police. I joined the police um, quite early. I was um, I was twenty one, nearly twenty two, when I joined the police because uh, I wanted to make the world a better place. I think that's why people join the police. Uh, I was response police officer in Barnsley. Um, six years down the line, and you do tend to find in the police, unfortunately, that. Um, you're only dealing with the bad things. You're putting people's lives back together because something bad has really happened. Um, but anyway, my um, dad, having worked um, throughout his life in the post office, had his own business uh, and he ran post offices on a crisis uh, basis because all post offices are franchise and he'd not been doing things as he should let's say, uh, because he'd been taken to a few employment tribunals. He'd had solicitor's advice, said he was going to win. He lost them all. Um, and it's basically because he hadn't got the things in place that he should have. And um, Being a family business, his business partner had already got her daughter um, working for the business. He basically um, wanted me to come on board as general manager. I think he was protective dad as well because I was in the police on the front line. Um, and so I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go for it. So uh, general manager, um, for two businesses because he had the crisis managed side and the um, the post offices that he owned and I did everything. So I put lots of policies, procedures in place. I looked a lot at the cash flow, the budgeting, the forecasting, got to learn a lot about business um, and how a business operates. We had over 300 staff. We had 60 post offices across the country. Um, but as time went on, because the whole plan was I was going to inherit the business when my um, dad fully retired. And uh, anyway, uh, I'm sure people know that as lots of things have moved online, footfall to post offices, and they were all um, micromanaged, as in they'd all got their own um, manager, supervisor, and we remote managed these post offices. The remuneration was decreasing, and then the post office um basically uh, started doing a lot of things where we started losing the crisis managed post offices. So we kind of halved in size. And um, my dad basically said to me, Michelle, you're, um, I'm all right. I've done my working life. I'm fine. I'm set up for life financially, but you're not. <laughs> Go sort yourself out. Um, and having gone through A-levels at school, I didn't go to university. Um, the police doesn't give you any formal qualifications, or it didn't back then. Um, a lot of experience in HR um, and employment law, but again, 
no form of qualification. And um, during this crossover period, my next door neighbor, um, financial advisor, and he said to me, um, he needed me to go out and do some seminars with him because he used to go to the universities to see doctors and dental students. And he felt that two suited booted men were putting off some people coming to the table and he wanted a female entity. So he said, look, will you come around uh, the universities with me um, and do that? So I was like, yeah, no problem. He's like, you don't need to know anything about financial advice. You just need to be the friendly face. Yeah, of course I will. But obviously, we then spent a lot of time in the car driving to said universities to do it and listening to him. So it got me a real interest. And what I found with financial advice, going back to the police situation of wanting to help people, that for me is what financial advice is about. And it's about helping people before the bad stuff happens, getting things put in place and uh, and making sure that they're sorted if something bad does occur in their life. Um, and so that's that's the start of my journey. I then retrained to become a finance advisor, um, got my level four diploma. And, uh, and that was 2017. So we're now in uh, 2021. Um, I'm self-employed. So uh, although I come under St. James's Place Wealth Management and I come under another company, Regency Wealth Management, because I basically pay away for them to do admin paraplanning costs, it is my business. And I've had to start from scratch of finding clients and, and bringing clients on board. And um, and it was quite difficult to start off with because everybody I knew, my social network, well, they all knew I'd only just qualified. So, you know, one minute I'm general manager for a company that runs post offices, the next minute I'm a financial advisor. And financial advice, there's a lot of trust based in that, a lot of trust. So to get people, I used to, um, when I started, I used to basically go to everybody I know. And luckily I'm a social butterfly, so I know a lot of people. But say, will you be my guinea pig? And I used to have to get them to guinea pig for me to try and get across that I did know what I was talking about, that I did know what I was doing. And then obviously it's built from there. So financial planning, financial advice came out of a necessity, yeah. an accident. It wasn't necessarily planned. No. Um, how was the transition from having been in the police force, being a wage earner, um, and by the way, sterling job to all the police officers out there, mm. What was that transition like for you? Because you're suddenly thrust into a business where if the business fails, you don't you don't get anything. Well, this is where planning really comes. Um, so I was quite fortunate to start off with, and I think anybody that goes into business should have some form of money set aside to cover you for for the initial months. You know, really drill down onto your expenditure. What do you need to earn? Um, and then how much is, it doesn't matter what business you've got, whether you're in sales, you're selling a product, whether you're um, dealing with clients like financial advice or marketing or whatever, how much does each individual client on average work out how much that's going to bring you and then try and project that forward. In terms of transition for me, um, I had money set aside that covered me for me getting my diploma. So that took um, six months of an exam a month. It was very intense, hardcore. Thankfully, I had a lot of training to do that, face-to-face training. Um, And then the first six months of business. So I had the money set aside and it kind of takes the pressure off because anybody that starts their own business, and especially if you're dealing with people, you can come across desperate. 
So it's trying to take that pressure off, but it was hard and it has been hard because I started in financial advice, got qualified 2018. That's when Brexit and everything was happening. Obviously, I deal with investments. Investments weren't doing very well because of Brexit. Um, and then 2019, everything picked up. And then um, I had a bit of devastating, well, it's not just a bit of devastating news, but my niece died um, the end of 2019. And then we had COVID. So it has been a complete roller coaster. And I do find that it's only been this year that things have started to come together. So it's it's about that determination. It's about that resilience. It's about just keep going. Yeah, it's um, sometimes life throws things in that you're not expecting. And no matter what plan you've got in place, whether it's a business plan, a life plan, you're going to have to anticipate and accept. Sometimes you'll get a detour in the road and you've got to go a different way. I don't even think it's a think you will. I think it's practically a guarantee that there's going to be something that happens that's going to throw you off. Yeah, definitely. So what's what's life like for you? I mean, the police forces, okay, you work shift. I suspect when you moved into the post office business, it wasn't your business, it was your father's, but obviously you'd got, you, it was part of a family business, but when you're working in a job or you're working with somebody else, there's, there's not guarantees because companies can go under, but pretty much you are certain what's going to come in at the end of the month, what you need to spend. You can plan your finances different. So what was, in terms of planning finances, what did you do differently when you suddenly had a business of your own? What did I do differently? Um, again, all the planning in place, but I think you have to plan for the eventuality that there isn't going to be money coming in that month because it isn't that guarantee. There's definitely pros and cons to owning your own business. In the start, there is no guarantee. This is why I was fortunate that I had that pot of money there that I could then fall on when the money didn't come in. Um, and But then when the business starts making more money, you know, you do get very restricted with a salary because that is your money. Yes, it's guaranteed on a monthly basis. Um, but on that sense, there's only so much disposable income that you've got depending on the life that you lead. So then if you want to save for holiday or anything like that, you've got to like plan it going forward. When business starts to become more successful and you've got technically more money coming in than you need, you don't have to worry as much because the money's kind of sat there. But you give up a lot of benefits when you're employed, you know, when you go from employed to self-employed. You know, if you think now with the workplace pension scheme that the government's brought out, um, depending on your earnings, most people are eligible to be auto-enrolled into a pension scheme. A pension scheme, yes, you are contributing, but so is your employer. That's extra money from your employer that's being given. Your own business, it's you that's got to contribute. And I think a lot of people don't understand what a pension's there for either. Um, I see loads of people go, yeah, I need to set up a pension because I haven't got one. Yes, I agree you do. But how much you put into a pension depends on what age you want to retire, what you want to do in retirement. And that's where the planning comes into it. The other thing that you give up um, when you go from employed to self-employed is things like sick pay. Now, yes, some companies only have um, statutory sick pay, but there's a lot of companies that, you know, I was in the police. That was six months full, six months half pay. 
And you think anything can happen. And I know I meet a lot of people that say, nah, I've never been sick in 20 years. Great. But what if you are? Because there's no guarantee that you're not going to be. And then what happens to your business, especially in business? Can that business run without you? Some businesses it can, because you've already got to that point where you employ staff or whatever. And if you're selling products, you've got an online store. It technically could run without you. Great. A lot of people like me, my business doesn't run without me because it is me. I'm the one giving the advice. I'm the one seeing clients. I've got nobody that can set into my, um, step into my shoes and then do my job for me to, in order to then give me an income too. So that's where protection is, is massive. Um, you know, you can do income protection to protect your income. You can, you know, just life and critical illness cover. I see a lot of people that, um, I just want life cover. Great. Okay. That's fine. What, what we want in life cover for? Well, I want to make sure that, that, you know, my kids have the house or something. Great. No problem. But what if something happens to you? You're the cash machine. You are the person making the income. You are that. And, you know, I, I get, I see some people, they insure their washing machine. They insure their fridge. They even insure the new TV. But then you talk about insuring them. And I think, I think a lot of people have this. It won't happen to me. It doesn't happen to me. That happens to other people. It doesn't happen to me. And so they don't think about insuring themselves. But this is where, as a business owner, you've really got to think, oh, I haven't got sick pay to fall back on. Can the business run without me? And there is protection that you can put in place for the business that can, depending on the business, then cover the business to replace you, which then means that the business pays for it instead of you paying for it. So, but yeah, does that answer the question? Yeah, it, it does. And it's it's an interesting point you bring up about the business paying for it. So if, you know, if you, you've got a limited company, uh, I suspect, not sure, we'll find out from Michelle in a second, perhaps you can do this if you're a sole trader. But when you think of it, there's only so much money you can take out of your business that will be financially efficient from a tax point of view. What a lot of people don't realize is if there's spare money in the business, the business can pay to protect you because it needs you there to run the business. So that's, you know, that's a business cost, not a personal cost. So can that be done if they're also sole trader, Michelle, or is that only if they're limited? No, it's only if they're a limited company, only if they're limited company. So limited company, um, you know, a lot, again, employee, uh, employee benefits from your employer. If you're employed, um, most people have heard of something called death in service. Well, a limited company director can set that up, um, which is basically life insurance, um, but the business pays for it and it is deductible against um, corporation tax. It is a deductible um, expense. In terms of the business surviving, you can then do what's called key man cover. Key man cover can be on a life or critical illness basis, but it does get paid to the business. It doesn't get paid personally to you, but in some respects, and that's a deductible expense, but not against corporation tax. And that's because if it pays out, it pays out tax free. And you technically got to pay tax on it in order for it to be tax free. There's certain um, different restrictions depending on your circumstances. But again, that could pay out a lump sum if you suffered a critical illness to replace you to ensure you can still get the income from your business into your personal life. Or you can do it on a personal basis. I think another thing that's um, really important, because some people go into business with other people. 
they don't do it. You know, I'm on my own. Um, but some people go, they set up a limited company, uh, direct to shareholders. And one thing that I'd say that everybody should consider in that circumstances, what's called shareholders protection, because depending on your shareholder agreement and how it's set up, if you're in business 50 50, say with somebody else, what if that person dies? You've got built up a value. You've put your, you've put all your sweat, grit and hustle into that business and that person dies. So what happens to that person's shares? Well, it tends to be distributed according to their will or the laws of intestacy if they haven't got a will. And then you could end up in business with somebody that hasn't got a clue because it's their family member. But from the point of the actual person that's dead, do they want their wife, kids to be in business or do they want a lump sum? that buys them out. So that's what shareholder protection is all about. The surviving shareholder takes complete ownership, all the owns all the shares, and the deceased partner, then family, gets the value of the shares into their own personal estate to be able to use. So there's, there's not that, oh God, I'm in, I'm in business with my best mate's wife now and she hasn't got a Scooby-Doo. What? Yeah. I mean, we, we do a lot of that in my business. Um, one of the limited companies we've got that's a, a, an SPV, a special purchase vehicle for a specific property. We actually had some pretty comprehensive shareholder agreements that, uh, and memorandum of articles that also enable it to be in statute that if there's one director, two directors, whatever, the company under its memorandum and its share agreements is obliged to pay for key man insurance mm. if the director chooses it's needed. Yeah. And that's one of the things we've got to do next is look through the business and basically decide what key man insurance should we put in. Mm. But yeah, that, that's one thing when we're teaching property, if you're buying property and putting a limited company, you're doing it with another person. It's no point waiting till something happens to decide what you want to do. You need to go into this and have the decisions made in the event that one partner dies or can't work anymore, what are the rules for their shares? What happens? If you don't have that in place beforehand, then you've got to do all of it under negotiation with a grieving family in some cases. Exactly. And I think that's so important as well because there's so many people that when they set up business, they'll just take the standard articles and not even necessarily have a shareholder agreement because that's not something that is actually needed. You always have to have articles of association um, for, for setting up a business, but a lot of people just take the ones off the shelf. They don't look at the ins and outs of it. So that's where, yeah, if you're setting up a business, get um, you know have those discussions with the business partner, but make sure you get a good solicitor who can put the things in place that means that in the eventuality of something bad happening, everything's sorted. Again, with protection, you know, I'm in an unfortunate position with my um, with my partner, Murray. He's actually got um, a long-term chronic illness. I can't get him life or critical illness cover. I can't get him it because he's uncoverable because of his, um, because of his chronic illness. 
And so people, I think when they're in their younger years, that's the whole, it won't happen to me. And I do feel that as you get older, you then become a bit more in touch with your own mortality and you look at putting it. But then by that point, you might have um, different medical conditions and things like that. And all protection, whether it be on the business side or it be on the personal side, it's medically underwritten. So the sooner you get it put in place, the cheaper it's likely to be. Yeah, because um, it goes up if you've got existing conditions, as I know. So you talk again about, you know, things happening in life. You mentioned earlier you went through a period in your business, your niece died. You couldn't have planned for that. And if you'd have still been in the police force, you might have got um, special allowance for leave because it was a, a close family member. But at that point when that happened... Um, and I know that that literally socked you out of the blue. It was so sudden. You're now running your own business. Did your business go on hold for a while or did you just have to work through it? No, it did. It definitely went on hold. So um, she passed away 19th of November. And um, because it was so sudden, she was only two and um, she went to sleep and never woke up. Um, <clears throat> my sister, my parents, we literally had round the clock vigils, as in sat at my sister's house because we were so concerned about them. Obviously, we were mortified ourselves and we were all in shock and we just sit round there all day practically not even talking because there were so many things that needed to happen. It was looking to the next stage and the next stage. And then there was the funeral and everything like that. So I, um, <clears throat> from the 19th of November, I didn't go back to work until the new year. Yes, if I'd have been in the police, I'd have got signed off sick for six months. And I'd have probably been off for that six months to deal with the grief and know that that money's coming in. I didn't have that, um, I didn't have that benefit. So, um, I went back to work in the new year and I remember thinking, I can't remember what I was doing pre-November. Obviously, the first thing that happened when, um, she did pass away was the immediate need for clients that I was dealing with there and then the first thing I had to do is basically get other people to go right I've got this meter can you can you sort that and that's other financial advisors that aren't connected to my business that I just had to go I can't I, I can't deal with it but this person needs to continue on their journey with the financial advice so I had to kind of give away clients at that point and then yeah January came and I thought I can't stay off work any longer I've just got to get my head back in the game, but trying to remember what I was doing. I just remember thinking, I, I don't know what planet I'm on. No, I remember us chatting towards the end of that period. And it was like, yeah, I've just not been around. I chopped my Facebook off and yeah. everything cut for a couple of months for mm. you. And then I just found I was getting back into it and then COVID hit. Yeah. Yeah, good old COVID. But the good news is for those listening, Michelle's sister has since uh, given her another... Yes. Niece or nephew? nephew? Nephew. I've got nephew Flynn um, and he is one on Sunday. So his uh, first birthday party is on Sunday. I've bought him some really cute little outfits and he is just edible. The um, the similarities with him and his sister as well. Um, it's amazing. And he is just absolutely adorable. So, yeah. Yeah. And it just shows there there is 
always sunshine after the rain. Um, so Michelle, recently I know from us chatting, you were looking at growing your business and one of the ways you went to do that was you bought a, a book of names effectively, which is often done in the financial advice field. Somebody's giving up their business. The biggest value, if you like, is that book of clients. Uh, you went in and made a decision to buy a book of clients. So what made you take that decision? What was the thought process behind behind buying a list of clients from somebody else? So I got given the opportunity. There was um, a lady, and I think this is where anybody buying any form of business needs to understand the synergies with the person you're buying it from. And um, I'm sure a lot of people are aware that in the financial advice world, it's still male-dominated. Um, but I got the opportunity to buy a book of clients from a female advisor. She was winding down. She wasn't giving up altogether, but winding down to retirement and wanted to sell off some of her clients so it could give her um, a bit of an easier easier next five years before before full retirement and a very scary situation um you know to buy the book of clients is is a debt more than my mortgage um but it's about those opportunities um in my world again going back to um you know coming out the police starting business uh, trying to gain trust of, of people and having people to see, I've then got so many people already to see and to help. And it, um, a lot of the people as well, because a lot of my clients were on the accumulation phase. They're, they're obviously building their wealth over their life because I'm, well, I'm 40 in December, but on the younger age of things, I know a lot of people around my age. Whereas this particular book of clients, yes, there's still people my age, but it's also the other side where people have retired and the money that they've got, it's on the decumulation phase. And I just felt that that would give me an all round experience as well, build on my knowledge, help me with both sides because I've got a lot of experience then with the accumulation, not so much the other side. And I wanted to... I wanted to experience that and, as I say, give that opportunity to, to see more people, to broaden my horizons. And so far, it's it's really worked. I've really enjoyed it. Cool. And I'm assuming it saved an awful lot of time of trying to find and build clients in that decumulation phase yeah. yourself. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think as well it's come – I think it's – the busier you are, you know, and people use this phrase all the time, you know, the harder I work, the luckier I get. But because it gave me a lot of um, people just to go and see anyway, but then last year, COVID, I did a lot of work with um, networking because, you know, I don't advertise. Everything of my uh, getting new business is word of mouth and networking and all that sort of thing. I'd put all that in place as well, a lot of it last year, and that started to come off. So although I'd got this new book of clients, I was then getting new people coming as well That that because all the networking had worked. And I think you work really hard and you feel, oh, yeah, I'm getting really lucky. Well, no, because you're just working hard. But then the harder you work as well, the there'll always be people that don't fit with your business. You know, you'll always come across clients that, that you think are great and then they fall off the bandwagon and business is a massive roller coaster. You can be on a high in the morning and a low in the afternoon because somebody said no. And the busier you are, the less bothered you are about the people that say no. And I think the busier you are, because subconsciously you're 
not as bothered. You know that you're doing a cracking job. You know that you can help that person. You're not coming across as desperate either. So I found that the busier I get, people just say yes. And I think it's because... I know that I'm doing 100% saying the, the right thing for you and that confidence comes through. Whereas at the least, if you, in my industry especially, if I don't have a lot of people to talk to, and again, going back to that income, I haven't got a guaranteed income coming in. You know, you need to pay the mortgage, you need to pay the bills, you need to live that life. You can then really worry about each individual person and start really pinning your hopes on them going forward and doing something with you. The busier you are, you you're not as you're not as bothered so it's helped as an all-round thing for me yeah I think that I think that's the case in any business because if if we're if we're busy if we've got lots of stuff coming through and we're in a position of abundance we don't get too caught up mentally or in our mindset around I have to close this client I have to have this client and I think when you're in that space of lack and scarcity without you knowing it there are subtleties body language, your own subconscious, things you don't even realize are happening, where suddenly you are focused in what's in this for you, which is I have to close the account, I've got to pay my mortgage, instead of what will often create a client that's successful is focusing on them. 100%. Serve them if it's right for them. And you've covered all the bases. You've you've explained how you can solve what it is is their critical issue. Then you'll find that if it's for them, they'll come on board. But you lose a lot of clients when you are in a low state, both in terms of number of clients and in terms of your own mindset. Because by default, we subconsciously focus on our needs, not theirs. That's what I've found. Oh, I, I completely agree. I feel, you know, no matter how many people tell you in a period of lack that you're potentially coming across as desperate, you'll always sit there and go, no. But it's amazing that when you're in a period of abundance, you again, you get people that just say yes, because whether you like it or not, when you're struggling in, like you say, focusing on what's in it for you, the fact that you've got to pay your mortgage, you've got to get that money in, you will come across desperate, yeah. even if you don't think you are. Yeah. There's Deepak Chopra, who I listen to quite a lot in the morning, it, there was some one of his learnings, his teachings, whatever you want to call them, that came out I was actually doing his 21 days of abundance meditation I think it's day 11 he talks about setting your outcome and then letting go of your outcome when I first heard of that I thought what the feck eh to a Yorkshire lass that made no sense (laughs) whatsoever then I realized what he was actually saying when I dug a bit deeper and it's this Decide where it is you want to be. Decide the outcome for that client, that day, that year, whatever it is. You set the outcome and then you let go of the outcome so you can focus on what is required to simply take the action steps to increase your probability of reaching it. Then it made sense. Mm. And I think that's the same with what you were talking about with when you're busy, you're less focused on your needs and more focused in, right, I need to serve this client. Um, if they come on board, great. If they don't, great. Yeah. But you focus on serving them. You've let go of the outcome of why you're doing it, yeah. which I think is brilliant. But anyway, that's a bit of a, a little detour. <laughs>
Um, Need to check that out, though. That sounds you know, interesting. The 21 Days of Abundance by Deepak Chopra is brilliant. Mm. It really is, especially if you do it not just with the meditation, but the actions. And there's a couple of daily tasks he puts into each day. Um, really good. So go have a look at that one, folks. So, you know, I know you're a lady that plays hard as well as works hard. Burn the candle at both Burn ends. Both ends. <laughs> Tracy. Yeah. Um, you know, you made a decision. You could have got qualified and literally do all of your own stuff, go under your own brand, go under your own umbrella, but you chose to go under the umbrella of Regency Wealth Management, which is part of St. James's. What was the benefits and disadvantages for you doing that? Because I know there's other people. I did a show a few weeks ago now around, so you want to start a business, and we talked about franchising versus network marketing, etc. So what was the benefit and disadvantage of you grabbing somebody else's umbrella instead of becoming your own brand? So there's two types of, um, there's two main types of financial advisor. There's your independent financial advisor, or there's me, which is what's called restricted. Um, coming under St. James's Place, I'm restricted because I can only offer the products and services of St. James's Place and a number of, number of carefully selected providers. But St. James's Place, the providers that we can use that we've got on panel, especially for protection, they go out and they do the due diligence on the companies. Um, and they spend a lot of money and time researching that. If I was independent, I'd have to do it all myself. Um, and it's the same. It's, it's also, um, St. James's Place. They, uh, do the St. James's Place guarantee. So St. James's Place can't guarantee the market because nobody can, but they guarantee the suitability of my advice. That's massive for me because my advice gets double and triple checked. So it's not all on my shoulders because if I was independent, then, and especially as a newly qualified advisor going back to 2018, when I needed that support network, I needed to have experienced people around me that I could drill into, but also from my client's peace of mind and my own peace of mind, because I'm a bit of a perfectionist. I like, I've got to do things right. I can't wing a single thing, Tracy. There's a lot of business owners I know that wing it and they make it great. That's not me. Every box has to be ticked. I need to know the ins and outs of everything and that whole support network and that guarantee and the due diligence that they do that made perfect sense to me, not just for me, but for the benefit of my clients. And then I chose Regency because Regency, we've got a collective, all self-employed individuals under Regency um, of advisors, numerous different um, experience in there. And, um, you know, we've got some chartered financial planners, but there's a good mix of people. And again, having that kind of safety net to be able to run ideas off people so I've got this client and this 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 and this what would you do and and I know you know with financial advice as well if you asked a question of 10 financial advisors they'd probably come back with 10 different answers but it's about understanding well what bit have I missed and then Regency um so people might not think it but in the financial advice world there is a lot of admin massive admin um because you've got to research you've got to pull the paperwork together and all this sort of stuff and basically i came under regency so i could pay away to utilize the support the admin the power planning staff in there so although it's my own business i pay them if i was again going on my own under my own banner 
it would be me employing the staff. It would be me having the responsibilities of the employment contracts and stuff like that. Again, part of my previous experience. So I'm comfortable having staff under me. But as a new business, I felt that was just taking off too much and one go. I needed to focus focus on getting the experience, finding clients, building the building my network rather than employing people or doing the due diligence and everything like that. So that was the reason for it. Brilliant. And just to put this into context, guys, Michelle talks about being an independent financial advisor and restricted. This is no different to burgers. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> Michelle's laughing at this one. She's going to get it in a minute. She'll start using this one when people say, well, why are you under this place? You know, there are plenty of burger joints in the world. But if you are, if you choose to do a McDonald's franchise, you can only sell McDonald's burgers. That is exactly what Michelle's talking about in the difference between an independent advisor and a restricted. It doesn't mean one is more qualified than the other. So that just puts it into context. Remember, there are plenty of advisors in this world. Some will be linked to a company, some won't. And Michelle, that advantage that there's somebody else behind you doing the due diligence, to me, that would give me more certainty that my funds are more secure other than what happens in the market. So one last area to delve into for our listeners before I do some quick fire questions, and that is... Financial planning is not just about planning for somebody starting a business or in the early stages. There comes a stage in a business where the owner might want to start to look at getting out. How how and where do you help in that space? I think it's the conversations. You know, when you start a business, you tend to know what age you want to give up that business. You might not have thought about your exit strategy at that point. Um, but for me, it's the conversations that the... There's a lot of business owners out there that um, come to me and especially when we start talking pensions because people don't really understand the benefits of pensions and they say my business is my pension because what they want to do is they want to get to um, retirement age, take a back seat, still be owner, shareholder, but have staff running it so their business can pay them an income and that's their retirement. So they don't need a pension and that's what they say to me. That's great. But what if there's some uncertainty in the market? You know, your industry, what if someone throws a spanner in the works and the business folds? What if the staff, because in the early years, and I say this to people in the early years, I do feel that that is a, that is a potential. You can do that. But the longer you get into retirement, because in the first few years of retirement, you're probably still keeping your hand in it, your eye on the ball, what the staff are doing, and all's working well. As you get deeper and deeper into retirement, you just want to care less, basically, and just take that monthly income. Um, and that's where the staff could either run it into the ground, and that income could stop tomorrow so that's that's one that's one way that people can exit a business not technically exiting because if they run it into a ground you've lost the saleability there is no saleability because it's not a profitable business anymore so it's about understanding your own business as to are you a service are you a one-man band i'll give you an example my partner murray he's got an ebay store and he makes subwoofer enclosures for cars. 
Um, he's one of the only people in the country that does it. Technically, he's got a saleable value of that business. But in order to get somebody to buy it, nobody could just come. You could go and buy a fish and chip shop. You could go buy a sandwich shop. And anybody with pretty no experience could go and just buy that off the shelf. And the person who's selling it has got the money, all good. When you get a bit more bespoke in business, it gets a bit more difficult. Like Murray, there isn't anybody that does what he does. So then he'd have to, um, so this is another consideration for people. Would you have to bring on somebody to employ them, to train them to sell the business? Um, you can do management buyouts where you do continue to work in the business on an employee basis over a set period of years and get the money in tranches. But I think, again, going back to your um, outcome and releasing that outcome, this forms part of your plan because it's about trying to figure out, well, at what age do I want to do that? And how many years do I need to start planning for that? And then obviously your exit strategy depends on your tax implications as well about how much money that is going to get you. And then what are you going to do with that money? So for example, um, most businesses um, sit outside of your estate for um, inheritance tax purposes because this is your limited companies because they um, qualify for business relief. You sell it, that money comes into your estate. You then might have an inheritance tax problem. Uh, most businesses qualify for business asset disposal relief, which um, can get you a reduction in the capital gains tax that, that you pay. Um, and then you can go on to defer it. So it's all about what's this money doing and how do I need to build my business? And then it's, I would also say that if you are coming up to the point of exiting a business or you're thinking of doing that in the next five years, speak to your accountant as well about the best way to plan for that. And, you know, is there too much money in the business? Um, because a lot of people, because they like to keep under the, um, they don't want to pay higher rate tax, they let the money build up in the business instead. Well, that's got pros and cons. You know, you might not be covered by the financial services compensation scheme if it's over 85,000 sat in one bank account. You build up too much money and then it could be classed as an investment business and then not qualify for your likes of business relief and things like that. So there's so many considerations, but this comes back to plan. Yeah. And what do you want to do? Brilliant. So before we go into the quick my questions, Michelle, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, so we've got uh, a website, Regency Wealth Management, um, and then if you go on to meet the team, and then you'll see um, you'll see me, you'll see my mugshot on there. Um, email address is michelle.herbert at sjpp.co.uk, and I think that's it. Brilliant. Thank you so much. So we're going to do a couple of quick fire questions before we finish, because as always, me and Michelle can natter for ages. But I'm trusting there are nuggets in what we've been talking about that are going to set some light bulbs on for you. And yes, light bulbs do go on in the brain, not off. Um, anyway, a couple of quick fire questions. Handbags or shoes? Both. Both. Oh if you could only God. have one. Shoes. Shoes. <laughs> we, were, we were chatting before we went into the recording about Michelle's forthcoming birthday plans. And one of them is to go and buy a handbag. <laughs> Shoes, the bags would have to go then if things got know, a bit such, tight. That's such a difficult decision because I am a shoes and handbag girl, both. Yeah. But it has to be shoes. Shoes, mm. brilliant. Hot tubs or swimming pools? <gasps> Depends on where I am. At home, hot tub, because I can't fit a swimming pool in my back garden. Um, 
a broad hot, uh, swimming pool. I'm not doing very well at these because <laughs> I like them both. <laughs> Brilliant. One I seem to ask everybody, but I love where it sometimes goes, so I don't mind that I'm asking this one again. What's been the most extravagant purchase in your life? Most of all, see, there's a difference between expensive and extravagant, isn't there? Yeah. Um, You know, because one of the biggest purchases in my life is my house, like most people. Um, Extravagant purchase in my life. And I'm not going to go for car because that's boring. Um, It's probably one of my handbags. <laughs> I thought it might be. <laughs> I, I thought it might come back to handbags. Um, and the last one, which we always ask every guest, sweat, grit or hustle, which resonates the most for you and why? 100% grit. Determination, grit. Don't give up. You know, going back to the dips in the road and everything like that. Resilience, you need it in abundance in business. And for me, it's been about the grit. Brilliant. Michelle Herbert, Foxy Financial Advisor. Thank you so much. It's been a blast. Thank you so much for having me. To keep up with what we're doing and what's coming on Sweat, Grit and Hustle, do visit us at www.sweatgrithustle.com. Thank you.